0: on today's Compassion Radio.
1: When I first went to China, they said, let's ignore it. And as we educate our people and modernize and uh, Deng Xiaoping declared to be rich is glorious and they unleashed the country for what we've all seen, making of millionaires and billionaires and Jack Ma's and and, uh, everybody buying homes and the great financial increase. I believe the politicians said, well, if we let people focus focus on wealth and uh the great china dream of making money and the church will die what didn't work welcome
0: back to another fact and passion-filled episode of the only radio journal that brings you to the front lines of faith like a breaking news investigation we're compassion radio and we're honored to take you to the front lines of faith with us every day Yesterday, we began an important conversation on the current state of affairs with our friend and Asia expert, who we referred to as Dr. China. Today, we'll continue that conversation, and we'll pick it up at one of the most important points he makes, and probably the most important advice for the family of God that they might hear this year.
1: Don't hurt the people you love. They live there. That's their country. That's their political system, and there's no running from it. And I've had high-ranking leaders look at me in the ultimate privacy context of conversation, and these friends look at me and they simply say, we have no choice. We can't leave. We can't resign our job. We can't move. We have no choice. And sometimes we're asked to do things that we wish we didn't have to do. Sure, I suppose it's proof texting, my brother. We all do it. Do you quote the verse, Submit to those in authority? Right. Who is there but God has appointed them? That's true. Or do you quote the verse, We must obey God rather than man? And all of us that have been in God's word for any length of time get pretty good at picking the fruit that we want to throw at somebody else.
0: (laughs) Exactly. You should be acting this way because I can. I get you. The freedoms that we have in Christ, we often think means that those freedoms should be self-evident in our political systems. And if they're not, we've got to change them immediately. And if we can't, something's wrong with us or our theology. Those who are born and raised in a communist country or other types of totalitarianisms, they read the same scriptures that Paul wrote to his followers and his congregations in the Roman Empire saying, what do we do with what we got? And Paul basically told all of them, deal with it. However, you find yourself, follow the Spirit of God where you are and represent Him well. And if you're called to account for it and you have to pay with your life, so be it. But none of us want to pray that way. But don't bring down the wrath of the state on your head for no reason. Good grief. That seems to be the problem we're having with the way we encourage people to act as if they possess the same legal rights we do, and then challenge them to act in a similar fashion where they are when they have zero protections. And all we're doing really is endangering them and endangering those they love and the church around them. And we think we're doing them a justice by doing that. That's the thing that's really has bothered me some about the most evangelical fringe ends of our denominations here in the States. We really expect people to act as if they've been given the Bill of Rights
1: true. That's true. And in fairness to communism. And by the way, for our listeners, I, I am not a communist. I don't work for the Beijing Chamber of Commerce. Amen. <laughs> in fact, I have an 18 page document. It's a white paper on Marxism in China and the parallels to what we're seeing happen here in our own country. Okay. And if uh, you'd be interested in sending that out through your network, I'd be happy to let you do that. I'd
0: love to have a copy of that.
1: So I'm not a communist. However, China believes that they are responsible for all the people in their country, and that includes the religionists and the Christians. Mm -hmm. They have a department of religion, defense, education, roads, transportation, agriculture, and religion. Mm -hmm. That's the way they're set up to do business. For us to come in and say, yes, I happen to have a history, you know, forgive me, as a Baptist. Right. One of our Baptist distinctives is separation of church and state. Right. I believe that that can be defended scripturally, but America is one of the few countries in world history that has held to that. Yeah. We are the outlier. Yes, We're we not are. the norm. So I think we need to bring to the table some humility and realize that God's church has functioned in many different political climates and not be too fast to bring our own opinions, at least to the forefront. But allow our brothers and sisters inside great countries like China to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling.
0: Exactly. And that's, you know, a novel concept to start with humility in anything. We're not really good about that in our American culture. But, yeah, I believe the Bible requires us to start with humility, knowing that we don't have it all figured out. We don't have it all in our hands to dispense with as we want to. God has chosen for us to grow up in the place we are. And I think it's one of the interesting questions that kind of pops up when you deal with the clash of our theological camps in the West, primarily in Western Europe and America, where there's a sense of the separation of church and state, where religions can work out their own questions internally and make their case to society at large without, you know, without punity. In China, you've got people who grow up under a regime. There was a freer regime, so to speak, intellectually before the communists came in, but not personally. The regimes that came before the communists were just as totalitarian in a kingdom sense, and all of the empires that went before them held just as much sway over the individual. And individual rights were not a concept even understood or even discussed before that time.
1: Yeah, I, I think you bring up a point of the history. This isn't just something since the times of Mao Zedong or our lifetime. Yeah. Those. Far deeper than that, in uh, the year 221 A.D., which you probably remember very well. Of course. I, yeah.
0: <laughs> we were all uh, skipping around as children then.
1: But there was a man by the name of uh, Qin Shi Huangdi. Mm. Qin, we name call the country China. Mm -hmm. And after about 500 years of warring states, he stepped in, and he was probably the foremost and certainly the strongest totalitarian leader. Well, when you look at the title he gave himself, family name, Mm Qin, and for you Chinese speakers, please forgive my very anglicized pronunciation, (laughs) but he took the name Qin, and then he added to it an interesting title, Xi, founder. Huang, mm-hmm. Emperor D God. Yeah. And by the way, Mister Xi has in many ways openly styled himself as a leader after Qin,
0: the current Xi. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so it founder Emperor God. Yeah. And the whole Tian idea of under heaven. Mm-hmm. So he is ruling under heaven in a great world order. And so just like we in America go back to our founding such a short while ago, and we're discussing now the Bill of Rights and our constitution. Are we going to be interpreted as it was intended then, or do we have the right to change it? Well, imagine if you're in a country that goes all the way back to 221 Mm -hmm. AD. I mean, it's just mind-blowing.
0: Five times longer than the Roman Empire right there. It's interesting how the juxtaposition, or really the oxymoron, can exist in China and other countries where they're under a communist or a Marxist system which declares by fiat there is no God. So it is officially atheist. But in the syncretism that is so common in Asia, there is no God, period, except that which is us under heaven. So there's this combining of an old, old idea that there can be a God or demigod that is an expression of all that is true and right from the heavens itself embodied in one person that will rule us because we are to be under the rule of what is true and pure and right, but still officially state there's no God. It is a weird syncretism to me, but it seems like it's flourishing in these days in the East. But I'm also seeing it, friend, flourishing in in weird ways in America now, that we have this notion of a sacredness or a scriptural tivity of our own founding documents our own list of rights and constitutional principles that are in writing, as if somehow they are imbued with a truth that even supersedes the word of God. And to be under that means you are the right and the pure and the true nation. And the Christian nationalists seem to be adopting that.
1: Here, I agree with you. Sometimes we act like we have 67 or 68 books of the Bible. There you go. And while I am a unabashedly a proud American, thankful to live here, the more I travel, I, sure I travel 200,000 miles a year, the more thankful I am for the country God let me and my family live in. Make no mistake. Yeah. However, and it really goes back to the divide between what we call the registered and the unregistered church in China. Yeah. What Christians decide, very simple. Bishop Ding said, love God and love country. Mm-hmm. In that order. The leaders of the, what we call them, house churches said, you love God, then you love your country. Yeah. But don't all of us worldwide need to make the same basic decisions? We do. What is my highest loyalty and commitment?
0: What is my homest country?
1: What is my ultimate authority? Yeah. And it can't be my politics. It can't be a man-made document. To let God's word stand supreme and let loyalty to Jesus Christ be everything. So I would come back again to that word humility because you yeah. raised the question, bringing it home, brother, that before we throw too many darts, yeah, we should probably look in the mirror real hard.
0: Yeah, we should. Now, I would say if you're coming from an Arminian background, you think about free will being the lens through which you see every relationship and every edict of God and every scripture. We have the freedom to decide and freedom to whatever because we are intrinsically, innately free to choose. And that's the theology you were raised in. What do you do with your brothers and sisters that are raised in countries where they have never been taught that they are truly free to decide something without that going against the authorities? In a country and at the cost, perhaps, of your life. And for those who are on a more of a reformed theology, what do you do when you've been raised with a relative latitude of freedoms in your political system and say, this is exactly what God intended for me. I was born to this people, to this time, to this family. How do you interact then with the reality or intersect your beliefs with their experience, where they come up in a country where they have been denigrated from the moment they were born because they were born to a family who ascribed to a higher authority than the state? Did God really intend for every other person in the world to suffer more than you? you know, that's where our theologies run up headlong against real experience— We find out really fast whether or not we have true compassion being built in us by the Holy Spirit or whether or not compassion is completely context-dependent, that God and I have no responsibility to feel your pain because of where you are because God put you there, so therefore you deserve it. Or you live in a place where you should be making choices. Go choose something different, and they can't. And then we judge them based upon our sociologically theological bent from where we are and assume that they must ascribe to our perspective before we can be in agreement. I see that in a lot of people, even stepping into missions, thinking that it's not our lens, it's the truth, it's the reality, it's the total there is. So with the way I've always experienced it is the way you had better, or you're going to
1: hell. I've
0: seen that attitude a lot in the world.
1: Absolutely, and the the challenge for every serious Bible student, say nothing of a theologian, Mm -hmm. is to ask ourselves what is cross cultural Mm -hmm. and what is intergenerational.
0: Yeah, that is it
1: timeless and it is for everybody. And what areas has God left open for us? Yes, this is not. Coming from my heart, anyhow, saying let's cultureize everything in the Bible. I think some things are eminently clear, indisputable. Mm-hmm. Sin is sin. Righteousness is righteousness. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how do we take in our ecclesiastical? Mm-hmm. Yes. Take the inviolable principles. And apply it in a wise way Mm -hmm. for the good of the Christian community and for the witness in the country in which we live. And and anybody who says that's easy, (laughs) again, is pretty naive.
0: Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. So call us today. 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or give online at CompassionRadio.com.
1: Take the inviolable principles and apply it in a wise way mm-hmm. for the good of the Christian community and for the witness in the country in which we live. And, and anybody who says that's easy, <laughs> again, is pretty naive. Yeah, exactly.
0: And it's the only context for me where that trite question, that bumper sticker question, what would Jesus do, actually makes sense. Because if Jesus was standing here looking at what he would be looking at, where I'm standing right now in a place that's not familiar to me, and I really ask myself, what would Jesus do here? The answer from the Holy Spirit is going to be, watch. Watch what I do with my people where you are. Learn something. Do that. I do believe that that is an injunction from the Holy Spirit to us in every generation to pay attention to how he's helping his people build the kingdom where they are. Because he knew where they would be born. He knew to whom they would be born and what time. He knew to what situations each culture, each person, each family would be born into. And he knew the culture in which every church would be built. He knows. I don't. You
1: know, my uh, esteemed host, if I may, without being offensive, if, if I, I, I think I would just put a little twist to that. Go for WWJD. it. WWJD. What would Jesus have me do?
0: Oh, yeah. And that is the next obvious question that is hard to ask.
1: Now, Jesus, every time he talked to somebody who knew their heart as well as their words, I don't. Right. Jesus had the ability to raise the dead. Yeah. He had the ability to no hearts, no minds. Many capabilities, I confess, I don't have, haven't been given to me mm-hmm. anyhow. So I think it's close, if not identical, to what you're saying. Yeah. In a different culture, in a different setting, could we make, I'm not talking about moral issues, mm-hmm. but in all moral matters of discernment and wisdom, what would he have us do if we were in China or North Korea or one of the countries in Africa, so many of them that are struggling. So good point. And I think we're saying the same thing.
0: Amen to that. I like to be on the wavelength with you, doctor. You've always been very gracious too, about standing in a place theologically where decisions are going to have consequences and you know, they will, and still being gracious to those who are struggling through how to come to terms with what God's really doing in this place that I was not expecting, through people that I was not expecting him to work through, and people to ascribe to the state or to their family, whatever, different kinds of faithfulness or loyalty or patrioticness that I would not have expected myself to be able to do in that situation. You've been able to help us understand that better as we've gone through these places, and you're gracious to those who are struggling through those understandings. I don't think it's possible, really, to get to the heart of what the kingdom is around the world without obviously spending real time with people who are in that kingdom or asking God to show you who he's got in different places and why they're important to him and his purposes and to ask him to help us to love them the way he does. Otherwise, we're stuck with this inconsequentialness to our worldview, which means to me that what's happening out there in the world is of no consequence to me. It doesn't touch me at all. I'm not responsible for what they're going through. I don't need to open the borders of my country to refugees because it's not my problem. I didn't start it. And we have this theological xenophobia too, not just against people of different colors or smells or habits or menus or whatever. We see people coming towards us. We have no indication in our hearts that we are responsible to ask God what he would want us to know about them because he values them. It just doesn't cross our minds until we are forced to be in the room with people that God is using for his purposes. And we humble ourselves and say, I don't know what's going on here. I need to learn. And God then opens our hearts to make it possible to. And from that comes, as you say, those relationships that are long-lasting that provide inroads over generations into countries, and that pipeline stays open for his purposes. We feel like we're incomplete people without being able to entertain the stranger who is now a friend, without being able to go to them from time to time and celebrate with them God's work in their lives, their people, their families. You and I have had the experience of being able to be in the room where God is doing his work. And that is so rich for me that we have had that opportunity. I'm so grateful to him for that. I'm going to let you uh, kind of pontificate a bit on the rest of this program. Uh, We've had a couple of great discussions already about general politics and the state of the church around the world, especially in China. But from here out, talk to me about what you think the most important lessons are to be learning now while we're kind of coming out of this deep curve in this pandemic era Things might be opening up, things might be unstable, it might be stable quickly. We don't know yet. But you probably have a sense for what you kind of see God doing in you, and the doors you think might be opened or closed in the near future. So let's just talk about that for a few minutes.
1: I'd be glad to. I think it's interesting to see how the government has dealt with the church. In their constitution, they say there's freedom of religion. They have five religions.
0: Speaking of China again.
1: they have Taoism, of course. Yep. <laughs> you know, Taoism, uh, Buddhism, uh, Islam, Roman Catholic, and Protestantism. Mm-hmm. Well, they've kind of put themselves in a bind. They say there's freedom of religion. So in some way, there has to be a growing religious community. Yeah. They were concerned about controlling, as you stated earlier in our conversation, according to Marxism. Religion is the opiate of the people.
0: Yeah. People get dumbed up. God you know.
1: is dead. There is no God. Right. The only God in China, frankly, is China. Right. If you want to understand what's going on, just understand that. Right. The God of China is China. It's all about the preeminence, the magnifying of the name, the China dream.
0: Or the eminence of those who actually inhabit or embody the spirit of the entire China by being the emperor, the great leader, the the emperor, wisdom, philosopher, God.
1: The emperor supreme. Yeah. And uh, it'll be interesting to see the end of October, 1st November, whether he's able to establish himself as the core leader or leader for life. Mm -hmm. I'll leave that up to politicians to worry about. But I, I watched them, and it's fascinating, try to curtail the growth of the Church of Jesus Christ. and I've seen it through three iterations now. When I first went to China, and I would date this from about 1976 to 1996, okay. they said, let's ignore it. And as we educate our people and modernize and uh, Deng Xiaoping declared to be rich is glorious and they unleashed the country for what we've all seen, making of millionaires and billionaires and the Jack Ma's and yeah. and uh, everybody buying homes and the great financial increments. I believe the politicians said, well, if we let people focus on money, which is not a bad bet, by the way, Jesus said, you either have to serve me or money. I doubt if that was in their mind, but but it wasn't (laughs) a bad bet. So let's let people focus on wealth and uh, the great China dream of making money, and the church will die. Well, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. For about 20 years, from 76 until about 96, the church grew gangbusters, fastest growing church in the world. And so then they tried something else. Every place you went, the buzzword was, well, the church needs to be involved in social services, you know, we're one community, it's not Christians over here, and then the rest of the community in another room. Bring them together. The purpose of a church, according to the government, was to serve the community. Well, they thought, well, if the church gets busy doing that, then it will die because they'll stop doing this worrisome evangelism that they've been preoccupied mm-hmm. with. <laughs> you know, So let's get them off of that and get them working, you know, and cleaning.
0: Drain their energies for us.
1: Well guess what went on for about 20 years from 96 till about 2016 the church grew even faster because now the community knew them (laughs) these christians are wonderful people look what they're doing for us and the church is filled up like nothing you've ever seen you couldn't build them fast enough so we tried ignoring it didn't matter for 20 years we tried focusing on social service and then around two thousand sixteen. And I think it's at least interesting that there seems to be in 20 year increments. Yeah. The buzz began to change to signification. Right. We need to signify the church. Now, that's what we're doing a lecture for our executives and my clients. But signification is nothing new in Chinese history. If you have the superior culture and the superior ethnicity, mm-hmm then you, of course, want to not be westernized. You want to celebrate and highlight
0: how much better you are.
1: Wonderful history. And so now you'll see in these celebrations, they're wearing of old Chinese garb and mm-hmm. singing Chinese songs. Well, now we've pushed that into the church. Yeah. And as recently, and I'll be careful here, but as recently as 2019, just a month before COVID shut everything down, I was at an event, and the whole focus was signification of the church. Yeah. And then at the end of it, they asked me to come on the platform and share my thoughts. And I said to a rather large gathering, I said, do I understand exactly what signification of the church means? No, I don't. But as long as the church remains true to the written word of God, and proclaiming that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm not so sure it concerns me greatly. Now, those are two very large caveats.
0: Yeah, they are not caveats, predicates.
1: Let's all change the word of God, not one iota, not one jot, not one two. So far, they have not. However, there is a group that's working on the Chinese study Bible, Mm -hmm. We've received word that the old study Bibles, which were very good, legally printed in China, may not be printed anymore. And we've tried to buy up all of them that we can for distribution. But theres I'll be cautious here. I do know some of the people working on the committee, I think it's fair to say, I think they would agree that they're liberal and they're theological bad. Now, what may happen is we could keep the text of the Bible the same, but then in the authorized interpretive books, which are approved, could promote a higher critical, very liberal viewpoint, which would mythologize the miracles, and so on and so forth. That concerns me. Mm -hmm. Now, if that's what sinicization is, I'm greatly concerned, because that's really not sinicizing anything.
0: Yeah. It's uh, gutting.
1: That's just an errant interpretation of the factuality of God's Holy Word.
0: We've got another great program ahead with our special guest for this series, his identity hidden, of course, for his safety. We simply refer to him as Dr. China, and he'll be back with us again tomorrow, so I hope you'll tune in for that. Remember, replays of every broadcast and much more that you can share with others are available at our website, CompassionRadio.com. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, B.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.